Today is Thursday, March 23rd, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Well, today, what do we think the Bible has to say about self-defense? Uh, what does Jesus think about self-defense? Can you use self-defense to protect your, your life, your loved ones, your property? Where's the line drawn? What does the line include? Let's find out about that. Uh, breaking the law, breaking the law. <laughs> For those who think we need to follow the law, um, we, we have a more of a tame discussion than usual about it. But still, uh, are we breaking the law if we don't follow the law? What law do we follow? Is God's law the same as the Mosaic law? Is that the same law that's imprinted on our hearts? Um, not exactly, but uh, we talk about the law. And then we have a good discussion from like way, way different perspectives, like multiple different far apart perspectives on homeschooling. Uh, should Christians homeschool? Should it be done? Should it be done in general? What kind of homeschooling? There's, there's so many X factors to it, and we talk about a lot of them. So stay tuned for this and more. And check out the Ask a Christian book available on Amazon. And you can also click on the link to donate to support this podcast because we need computers. Um, and uh, the one I'm using now is like 12 years old. <laughs> I was smoking the other day. Anyways, <laughs> what's wrong with it? I don't know. Um, the lights still come on. So uh, let's see what else. Um, ba -ba 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 -bum. You can get some merchandise to facilitate the discussion of civil Christianity with people. And... We will catch you later. Happy Thursday. Um, yeah, if you want, I'm, I'm just kind of looking through it now. But I think I think it's going to answer your question. I mean, you know, I haven't even read the thing. I, I just found the article. So whether it convinces you or not or you agree, I don't know. But I, I think the answer to your question, at least probably what he shares, is there. If you um, – maybe I can pin the link in a minute. But if you just circle – or uh, circle. If you just Google Matt Slick, CARM, self-defense, it's the top article. And it talks about, you know, do Christians have the right to, to physical self-defense? And, you know, just kind of scanning through it so far. And I know I've heard him talk to it a little bit before. But, you know, he uses a lot of the stuff. Um, let me see if I can just quickly click on this. But there's like some verses in Exodus and things like that. Um, By the way, the right to self-defense isn't absolute. Right? We have exceptions to that. Yeah, I, I haven't. Well, um, yeah, we may talk about that. Welcome, Sarah and Stephanie and Rab, by the way. Um, but yeah, so a lot of this is Old Testament. I don't know if I'll agree with it, but let me just read it real quick. Like Exodus 22, 2 and 3, if a thief is caught. And these, by the way, the Exodus stuff, they're the laws of Moses. So if we're not Israelites, these are not our laws. But you ask for principles, so the principle would apply. If a thief is caught breaking in at night and struck uh, a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. But if that happens after sunrise, eh. Proverbs, like a muddied spring or a polluted well are the righteous who give way to the wicked. This past suggests that it's important for the righteous to resist the wicked and not give in to them. Uh, Ecclesiastes, a time to kill, a time to heal. So, I, I mean, it seems like these, you know, it's definitely not God necessarily saying, if someone tries to murder you, definitely, totally defend yourself. Um, but, I mean, for, for me, I would go back to the, um, I mean, I would go back to, you know, Jesus selling, saying, sell your cloak and buy a sword, because there's only so many ways you can interpret it. It's either, I don't know, as a fashion statement or to ward off animals or, you know, fight animals that would attack them on the road or to be a, a display of force to keep people from attacking them or up into including if people want to attack them like, you know, bandits or robbers, then perhaps they could use that to defend themselves, even if that meant, you know, killing someone in the process. So, I mean, I think that's the most the most bold statement because he says buy a sword. There's only so many things that's for. So people, animals or just a show of force. Um, or fashion statement.
Um, <laughs> but this article's pretty, but this art, well, this article's pretty long and exhaustive. So I, I would definitely say check that out, and it's going to give you great detail, whether you're convinced or not. So, in short, uh, do Christians have the right of physical self-defense? Karm.org uh, by Matt Slick is where I found it. Yeah, go ahead, whoever wants to speak. Yeah. Oh, you're chopping out really bad, CEO. Yeah, you're chopping out really bad. Try to get a better connection. But it is clearly making a distinction between like vengeance and self-defense. And I mean, I would say I definitely agree with that. You know, the Bible outright says vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Uh, but this is the self-defense is what we're talking about. And it's more like stopping an immediate threat. Um, I'm just giving some notes so, as I go on. So, Nate, the Amish, for example, believe quite the opposite in these cases. So it feels like a you start with the position you want and you can find backing biblical evidence to support. Well, I mean, you can do it with anything. You can do it with a, a you know, a scholarly non-religious textbook. Like yes. I mean, we have, oh, that's why we have lawyers to try to bend the law and bend things, objective statements to their will. Um, and yeah, you know, maybe in a perfect, maybe in a perfect scenario, uh, the Christian, you know, someone would be like, Hey, uh, you know, Give me all your money. They're like, okay. They're like, uh, hey, give me your wife. Hey, give me your daughters. I'm going to sell them to slavery. They're like, okay. I can't imagine that for a second. But maybe they're like, hey, I'm going to kill you now. Put your head on this chopping block. Uh, okay. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe in maybe in some version, like I don't even think the Amish would go that far. But maybe if they're like, hey, we're going to kill you and your family now. Like, okay, my heavenly home awaits. Uh, lay down and die. But no, that would be like very immoral. Like that would be worse than death if someone's like, "Hey, you know, give us our ch your children. We're going to sell them into slavery." Be like, "Well, well, no." Like I don't think anyone's going to be like, "Well, no matter how passive and peaceful I am, uh, no, I I will fight to stop that from happening." Because that would be that would that would be like a level higher than like laying down and letting someone murder you. I think. Right. So I agree with you. Right. That this is not what people would do, and of course I can say, "Yeah, that doesn't make me happy. I totally wouldn't do that." Right. So I'm going to totally defend myself because that's what I like. I think I personally think is the right thing to do. My point is you can make a claim either direction in the Bible, whatever you feel like you should do. In this instance, there's very obvious passages that back up either position. No, that, that's not entirely true. They argue it out. Just same same exact story for the Constitution and other legal te legal texts. It's, it's they use legalese and precise language in order to avoid that. But even still, you have to have lawyers. You have to look into the spirit of it. I mean, yes, if it says something, you know, in this paragraph this way, but look at these other paragraphs, and it's totally opposite, the spirit of it. And so you argue it out, and it takes a long time. But then you can have some yahoos going in and try to ignore all the thinking and the and the spirit of it, and just pick out something. Yeah, they're free to do that. You're free to be an idiot. Well, no, no. But let's, can, let's you, can you all hear me now? Can you hear me now? That's yes. Okay. Um, so I was just going to say that I think this comes down to what's in the person's heart, right? And the Bible speaks to that. So if you feel convicted and it's wrong, then it's sin. If it, if it doesn't, then I think you're good. So it's going to be contested. So let me let me and give you an example. Go ahead. Let me just give the example that's like we would that you're going to have a problem with in some sense. If a person is drafted into the United States Army because the draft is legal, they would get drafted in and their their boss, their sergeant, their 
commander says, you need to walk through that minefield because we're looking for the mines and you're going to die, but this is going to save a lot of other lives. Go. We would say if that person turns around with his gun to shoot a sergeant, that person's acting incorrectly. He should not be defending himself in that way. So this is an example of self-defense. He could just not go. And he would be executed for failing to obey an order. He'd be court-martialed. He he could be summarily executed in the field for failing to obey an order. You're telling me that his commanding officer has a right to shoot him for not obeying an order? Yes. Yes. In wartime, on the field of battle, absolutely. Is is there a military doctrine that says that? Yes. Where are you getting that from? What what, what is it? Can you tell me what it is? You're going to make me go back to my military training and hunt down this rule. But yes, if you disobey, this is, they did this during battles in, when they were attacking, they would shoot behind people to make them keep going. So yes, it is a but common they would, activity. But they would kill them. You're saying they would kill them for not obeying an order. There are absolutely examples of killing people on the battlefield for failure to follow but, an, an order. Yeah, so there are examples, but there's also why we have military tribunals, uh, you know, like I think the Nuremberg, or is that the one or whatever, that, that made a lot of war criminals answer for their crimes. And there was also a justification of a lot of, you know, let's just go to Nazis um, who are like, I did this because, you know, it was it was an order and it's not my fault. You know, I murdered lots of people, but it was totally because my commanding officer would have murdered me. And they're like, not an excuse. So, you know, there's lots of different countries and governments and military principles and military law that governs this. So, yeah, I mean, you know, just because something is is the way it is doesn't make it right. But yeah, I mean, there are examples of this. There's also examples of people not doing this. And, you know, someone would say, well, you know, you can, this is the law. I could shoot you right now, but they don't. So, I mean, none of this makes it right or wrong. And, you know, if we're talking about American military or which branch, and, you know, this is why we have military lawyers. Like, it's not like an an absolute or as objective of people want want it to be either. Um, well, I mean, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, Ratscuttle. I would dare any military commanding officer to do what you said today and think that we're going to keep her job afterwards and not be court-martialed themselves. I would dare them. You know that in today's climate, there's no way that would fly. Well, let me let me ask you this, though. Is it right for this person to self-defend in that case? No, this is a military operation. Not doing it he, now. If his commanding no. officer raises his gun at him, sure, he can defend himself. No, even in the case of not following an order, is that? Yeah, yeah, Reb. So I, can, I can tell you. So it's it's going to be it's going to be very very subjective depending on all the variables. But I would say right now, like you know, we're talking about Nazis. You brought that up. <laughs> I did. So. You know, if I'm a guy that got tricked into being part of the Nazi people and then they're like, hey, now we're going to, you know, forget the economic, um, you know, woo that led people into liking Nazis. Now we're going to start killing Jews. I'm like, oh, crap, I didn't sign up for that. That's bad. I don't want to kill people for no reason. And then my officer's like, well, you got to kill them or I'm going to kill you. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. And then if he raised his gun to me, like imminent death, then, yes, I would feel justified in defending myself uh, because what he asked, I feel is unjust. And then if he's like, okay, well, we're going to arrest you. I'm like, fine, arrest me. If he's like, I'm going to execute you right now. I'm like, well, you can try, but I'm going to try not to die. So, so let, me, let, me, let me clarify, though. This is in the U.S. military telling soldiers to do something that's highly dangerous and or extremely deadly. 
And the soldier rebels cowardly, says, no, I don't want to die. I want to protect my life. Would it be okay to charge that soldier? So you're, but you're, but you're fire? moving the needle. Highly dangerous. No, I am not. And this certain is death. But, 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 yes. over, there's a difference between highly dangerous and certain death. Either well, way, we've also he's moved, protecting we've his also, life. What, what we've also moved from like unjust, immoral orders versus now just dangerous yeah. things that you signed up right. for. That's like a, that's no, like a, no, cop, no, not, oh, okay. You didn't sign up well, for then, this. You were drafted. Okay. Well, then each person is going to have a different answer. Like, yeah, I, no, I wait, you need to try to do order. Raps go to, unless, unless it's something that's going to lead to certain death, you need to follow the order. That, so, that. Yeah, but my question, but, but my point is that if, you, if someone says, I think it's going to lead to certain death, I'm going to not do that order. That would be an example of chart. Like, would you say, yes, that person was just uh, protecting his life. Totally fine. Shouldn't be prosecuted. Held like, good job, guy. You protected your life. That was self-defense. Is that what we would say? He should be court-martialed, and then they'll decide. So that's what we have. He'd be punished. Well, hang hang on. First of all, first of all, yeah. I mean, for the people who believe in God, God will ultimately decide, you know, the morality and and his fate on a spiritual sense. As far as here, like what CEO just said, I agree. We have a whole system in place for that. Either in this case, military tribunal, or something else in a civilian side, a jury of your peers. So it's it's going to be subjective. If you had a jury of Nates and it was clones of Nates on the jury, I can tell you, uh, you know, I'd hear the trial and tell you what I think. If it's a military tribunal, so we have systems in place. So as far as you want, you're trying to ask like a question that just can't rightly be answered. Like God knows the heart. God knows this guy better than he knows himself. So even if he thinks he's doing something for a good or bad reason, God's going to be like, well, I actually know you better than yourself and you're doing it for this reason. And based on all these things, I, God. Uh, know that this is good or this is bad or this is just or this is not and for people's so that, side it's like well i don't know let's hear the guy in court so we're trying so to ask like my, what would but, yeah no i said that's not what i'm trying to bring up what i'm trying to bring up is here we have an example of self-protection that's debatable so we have an example of someone doing an act of self-preservation that we are debating if it's the right act or not in this instance. So it's not an absolute case that you always have the right to self-defense because otherwise this person wouldn't be under trial for defending their life. Oh no, I don't agree with that for a second. No, no, no. Like you can ha- like you've had people you've had people like, you know, in the act of being raped, they were able to scratch a gun or a knife, stab the attacker and they end up going to jail for it. So like th- uh, no, that that's that's you do? Not, not you bringing n- not not you bringing this up, but that's that's like that's like trash logic. Not not you but just because of all the cases we have of that being totally false, where like the absolute aggressor is, you know, beating someone to death, raping, robbing, like their death is imminent. And you have the victim like scratching by and managing to kill the person. And uh, yes, they end up being the ones prosecuted. And for whatever reason, they end up serving jail time. Okay, Nate, I agree that that's, you agree that that's wrong. You think that that person shouldn't go on trial for self-defense in that case, correct? Right. The point is, it's the point is, you can debate anything. Yeah. Like even when there are things yeah. that should be open and shut cases, like a guy's got a gun to my head and says, "I'm killing you," and you kill him first. That shouldn't be debatable at all. But people will still debate it. Hang on, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, wait, wait, wait. Um, in chat, I posted the link so you can check it out. And if you're listening, it's the well, just Google Matt Slick Karm.org right to self-defense. Um, but I posted the article there and we're talking about this. The whole article is almost 5,000 words. 
So I just wanted to give a little perspective that we're trying to armchair discuss this, that, you know, just one guy's article on the internet, you know, who we've talked to before, um, has obviously taken months and months and done research as far as, you know, his biblical points, whether you agree or not, there's the, there's a, a definitely side as to why the Bible, you know, some see it as gives you the right to self-defense. But uh, yeah, Rab, I mean, I don't really have a problem with what you're saying. Uh, uh, you know, is self-defense uh, always, always an absolute? Well, I have a big problem with absolutes because there's there's so many variables like you're bringing up right now. So, right. I mean, so, which is also what CEO said from the Christian side. Ultimately, like if you generally think, which I do, you have the right to self-defense, defending the right of, you know, your life and, and innocence and family members and stuff like that. Um, I generally think that. Uh, but there could be a scenario where um, a right to self-defense would come up and I would think, well, generally, yes, I hold this, but in this case, something less than death um, could happen. Like maybe you have a taser, maybe you have a, a panic room you can jump in. So maybe there is something else you could reasonably do, even though I think generally self-defense is justified. If there's another option, well, then self-defense would not be justified in this case to the point of death because it would be so so easy to just hit a button and have a you know three-inch glass plate slide between you guys. Yeah, so, CEO, go ahead. Yeah, so so here here's a, a example one. So last night I was watching 24, and the FBI agent was assaulted. She thought she was going to get raped, so she stabbed the guy in the eye, which is self-defense. But then she stabbed him 14 more times. So, Rab Scuttle, what do you say about that? What I said about so the was the guy incapacitated after the first stab? She she kept doing it like it wasn't like she paused she just kept doing it in motion well then she's not reevaluating the situation that's fine that was self-defense the entire time if she stabbed him in the eye he rolled on his back and was squealing and then she got down carefully and stabbed him 14 more times yeah the next 14 i would have a problem with but if she was just like doing it because she still felt under threat the entire time if she felt under threat the entire time yeah stab away Uh, let's see. Brandon, do you have anything you'd like to say about this? Oh, and by the way, for the record, I have no problem with self-defense. Just, just for the record, I've said I have no problem. My point was only that you can read the Bible to whatever end you want it. Well, but I mean, go one step further, which I know you'd agree, but just so the world knows, it's not as if the Bible is some textbook that you can magically take out of content, context and nothing else. Like, you can do this with anything. Like, you know, you could take the satanic guide that says, do as that as thou wilt. And, you know, the intent, obviously, is not to go inflict harm on other people. And if you read it in context, that's the message you get, even though it's the freaking book of Satanism. Or if you take, you know, um, a book about the solar system or a book about academic science or biology, you could read into the Hippocratic Oath, the do no harm, and be like, well, I actually have to do no harm for the greater good by killing lots of people. Like you can twist any well-meaning thing, so it's not like the Bible. Um, like I can just see book? the argument of right. Yeah, I can see. Hang on, hang on. Hang, wait, wait. To finish my point, I can see the argument arising because it has arisen many times, and you know this. That then people will use that to say, "See, this is why religion is bad. This is why holy books are bad." All the while thinking like all their secular books, non-religious books, are just fine when they share the exact same literary pitfalls as anything else. That's all. Wait, you I'm agree, saying, right, Rab? Or, uh, Wait, the Rab, Bible's, uh, the Bible's uh, not a special book. 
grab right. you know what i mean right I, I, I was just going to say that you you won't ever see Christians um, confuse whether Jesus was speaking in metaphor about if you lust, gouge your eye out, or if you steal, cut your hand off. I don't I don't see anyone taking those literal. <clears throat> but hang on, Rab, I I didn't think this would be so hard to pull out of you, but you would say yes, right? The Bible, yeah, yeah the Bible's not special as far as words on paper. Uh, so the Bible is not like some book you can magically take out of context, um, and you cannot right. do this with other secular books. They are all right. the same in that regard, that yes. the words on paper allow people to read into it whatever messed up stuff they want. They can twist anything yes. good and make it whatever they want. Okay. Absolutely. Great. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> so that uh, We all agree with it. Right. So the, I don't hold the Bible as worse or better than any other secular book. I, I, I know you want to make that point. And I'll let you because, you know, the audience knows at this point. But as far as a spiritual holy guy that points you to Jesus, yes, it's very special. As far as pen and ink on paper, then yes, it, it doesn't have like, you know, gold flake or, you know, uh, whatever. So, I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's just like any other book in the fact that it's a book with paper and ink and binding. Yes, I agree. As far as, you know, the importance of it. Yeah, spiritually, I believe it's a guide to eternal life, and if you reject it, then that is to your detriment. Woo! Happy Thursday. <laughs> now, now, Rab Shuttle, I think the Muslims will say the Quran cannot be like uh, it's like you know the perfect transcribed word of Allah, and so therefore it is flawless in every way possible. So I think that's that. I I, I don't think the, the the Bible is quite framed the same. Okay. I mean, yes. Uh, Serendipity, would you like to jump in on this? In three, two, one. How about you, the real something? The real just Jacob? Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I didn't hear the beginning of the conversation, so I was kind of, kind of trying to, you know, catch up and see exactly what it is the claim was. So I don't really know at this point. Oh, well, did you have anything else on your mind? I think I, I don't know where else we can go with this, really. But if you have another topic, throw it out. Uh, I mean, I was just listening for a minute, but uh, we can talk about whatever you want. I can give you my position and you can you can play off of that if you want. As well, this originally, like going back to the beginning, I mean, going back to the beginning, this really started about like, you know, the Christian view of self-defense. Uh, so if anyone else oh, yeah. anyway, has anything, yeah. Yeah, well, there is a Old Testament passage that's helpful that was maybe brought up already. So I don't know if it's in the Torah. It was uh, it's in Exodus. 22? Like 20, is it 22? Yeah, yeah, so that was already brought up then. It's actually a yeah, really interesting passage when you look at it in detail because what it's saying is that if the sun rises on this person, in other words, if he lives, then he must be given the chance to make restitution in other words, you shouldn't have that retaliation like afterward if he lives. But in the moment of him trying to rob you, there is no protection of that man, biblically speaking. And I mean, in Psalms, I mean, it's all through the Bible. Like, and again, it's not, you know, it would be worthy to write, to read each one in context. But, you know, there's plenty of stuff in songs that talks about coming to the fence of the orphans, you know, getting those out of, out of captivity who were illegally imprisoned. So, there, I mean, there's lots of things 
that are a lot closer to, yes, use use self-defense if that's what it comes to, to defend orphans, defend the weak, defend widows, et cetera, et cetera. Um, anyway. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That passage in Exodus 22 doesn't even, like, I agree with everything you said, but that passage in Exodus 22 is specifically just about defending your property even, which is, you know, controversial in some Christian groups. But, I mean, that's what it says. Yeah, and I mean, I always like always I always put the disclaimer out when it comes to like the Levitical the Levitical law because you know if you're not an Israelite if you're a Gentile these were never your laws, um, so I would put that disclaimer. Oh well, so I if someone is an that, but yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I I'm sure you would, but um, <laughs> you know, if someone wants to be an observant Jew or follow the law for some reason, then then sure, follow that law. Uh, but as far as Christianity goes, you know, for the Gentiles. Um, I mean, the whole point of the Mosaic law was to make the Israelites a separate people and distinct people. So some of the laws that even don't don't have like moral significance, um, there would be like ceremonial, for example, or defending property or something like that could very well just be to distinct themselves from another tribe like the Moabites or Amorites or something or Malachites and be like, well, hey, we're doing this to set up, be set apart. So if everyone, even Gentiles, followed all these laws. Well, that wouldn't make the Israelites set apart. That would make them the big guys. We're trying to set apart. We're trying to be holy. We're trying to come away from you guys. I'd be like, no, no, no. We're going to do exactly what you do. So that would defeat the purpose of the law of making them a separate uh, people. Yeah, but uh, aren't we still supposed to be a separate people? Well, yeah, we're called to be set apart. And if we're talking about the New Testament context, this is children of God, not natural Israelites with the law through whom the Messiah was going to come. Yeah, but the people out of Egypt, the mixed multitude, weren't natural Israelites. And yet Moses was asked, asking Yahweh, what do I do with this people? And he said, if they will keep my ways and my commands, then they will be my people and they will be counted as one of you, which is the same prescription we see for someone like, uh, you know, well, for, for anyone who wants to be one of God's people is he has he has one standard of righteousness. It's not for salvation, though, and I think that was the confusion that a lot of the the, the Jews had, especially in Jesus' time, that they, they were thinking that this law was going to bring them salvation, but it was just the method by which God brought the salvation, but it was his work that did it. You know what I mean? It was trusting in him that did it. That was always, that was always the formula. You can go back to Abraham and see that. Well, I mean, I don't super disagree with that last part. I mean, yeah, it's by faith. It's not the law that saves. Like Paul says, you know, if you believe Paul, if you believe the whole Bible, he says, you know, the law is useful for its purpose to show how sinful we are. But he calls it the law of sin and death because it, like you just said, it doesn't have the power to save. It only has the power to show how basically doomed you are. Um, so he's like, you know, who's going to save us? And he's like, thanks be to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, you know, we see that uh, Abraham, you know, even before the law, he had faith, and that was credited as righteousness. And then even people during the time, they have faith in God. So faith is always what saves. It's by God through faith. Because if you have faith in God, well, he says, follow the law. You're going to follow the law. Uh, when the Messiah comes, then he says, follow me. These are the greatest two commandments. On these hang all the law and all the prophets. So it's by faith in God. Now you're following Jesus. So it's always by faith. So the opposite would be true if you didn't have faith in God. Like the Israelites wouldn't follow wouldn't follow the law because they're like, why would we follow the law? We don't we don't have faith in God. And when Jesus says, you know, uh, the, these scriptures have been fulfilled today. I'm the Messiah. I'm He. You know, follow me, and you have voices coming out of the heaven say, this is my Son, in whom I'm pleased. Do what He says. And He says, follow me, and you'll have eternal life. Well, if we don't have faith in Him, 
well, then we're not going to follow Jesus. Yeah, could not agree more. Uh, I just wonder why for most Christians, when we say we follow Jesus, why does that stop when he starts to obey the law, right? Like he obeys the law. He keeps the Torah. Why do we stop where he continues, right? Why are well, we not was, following him? In well, one thing is he was still under the law. Like, you know, the old covenant wasn't completed until he says it is finished, which is at the end of the Gospels, which is at the end of his life here on earth. So whenever he's doing these things, it's because, you know, he was Jewish. He was an observant. So he was doing he was doing the law. Um, so like a Gentile would not be under the same obligation. I mean, by virtue of them being Gentile. And there are plenty of Gentile converts during his time. You know, remember, he went first to the lost sheep of Israel and then he ended up talking to Gentiles and the Samaritan woman and all these people. So the Samaritan woman wouldn't be required to keep these 613 Levitical laws because she was not a Jew. Um, so that's why. So then yeah, you, know, well, you see when he says it is finished and he says, believe in me and you'll never die. Yeah, but I just really wonder how that works, because, you know, he says he says this is not like a, a statement that has an end to it. He says those who disobey the least of these commandments and teach others to do so also will be least. But those who teach others to obey and do so also will be great in the kingdom of heaven. So. He seemed to place an importance on keeping the law forever, not for salvation, but as a matter of obedience to God and a way to keep yourself set apart and holy still. I don't think that it loses its value in keeping us as a set apart people. You see what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. I see what you're saying. And I like that verse, because if, you, if we just want to, like, you know, go to, to logic for a second, um, the logical point of what you said is, you know, if we're saying you have faith alone in Christ and you, you don't have to keep the law for salvation. Um, and then, you know, other people, I think you, you may be different, but usually other people will say, no, no, you have to keep the law for salvation. Um, then under one paradigm, if he says those who don't keep these commandments and teach others will be least in the kingdom of heaven under that paradigm, at least we're still in the kingdom of heaven versus the other way. If you're like, no, no, you have to have to keep the law for salvation and, you know, don't believe all the Jesus stuff, the Messiah, the son of God, the death, burial, resurrection, the being born again. Well, then that person's not in the kingdom of heaven at all. So like just on a logical sense, um, I think that's an interesting point. So like if, if some, not, not saying you, cause I think you said that doesn't save you or whatever, but people that would typically take a side sort of adjacent to yours that would say, no, you, to be saved, you must keep the law. Those people wouldn't even be in heaven versus if I'm wrong, I'm the least in heaven. Wonderful. I'll be a servant in heaven. That's fine. Yeah, but I mean, no, I don't base it I on that. It. I base it on the Bible, but just saying lowest <laughs> common denominator. No, I understand. If I could just real quick make this last point, like what what I think is going to be the problem for your position, Nate, is a verse or a passage like Galatians 5, um, 17 through 20, I believe, where Paul goes over a list of behaviors. He does this elsewhere also, but he goes over a list of behaviors that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the problem for your position in saying that the Torah does not have any bearing or obedience to it or disobedience to it does not have any bearing on our salvation whatsoever. I acknowledge it's by faith in Christ, but we both acknowledge, I'm sure, that that doesn't mean you can live however you want. And the problem with your position in saying the Torah is not the standard anymore is that Paul seems to pull from it uh, in every single behavior that he lists as not inheriting the kingdom of God. And that's for someone who practices those behaviors, right? Not someone who slips up and sins and regrets it. Someone who practices lawlessness and wickedness and fornication, idolatry, 
uh, drunkenness, et cetera, right? All those things that he lists, those are all from the Torah. So the problem with your position is that Paul, the, the guy who I believe in as well as a, as a, you know, sent apostle by Jesus Christ, someone who God was writing through, right? I believe that. And this guy seemed to pull from this Torah that you're saying doesn't have any bearings, bearing on how I should live my life. I just don't see how that works. And- um, well, so, so first of all, it, it's not a, one verse isn't going to be a problem for anyone because you have to square whatever the one, you know, silver bullet verse is with the totality of scripture. So, you know, we, one verse is not going to be a problem for anyone. You're going to need to square that with the totality of scripture. Secondly, um, that would be a problem for me, for me if I took that position, but I don't. So I, I think you're kind of conflating and I, I don't care. I don't think it's an ill will. Um, I don't really, whatever, but I'm saying you don't need to follow the law to be saved. That doesn't mean that I'm saying disregard everything the Old Testament says. So, for example, people will say something like, you know, you you don't have to follow the law of Moses, but you have to follow the Ten Commandments for some arbitrary reason. Um, I'm like, well, no, the Ten Commandments is still part of the 613 laws of Moses. So the so then someone would say, well, if you say you don't got to follow the law, that means you must think murder is fine. Well, no. And then I say, well, if I don't think murder is fine, they'd say, see, you're following the law. And I'd say, well, it's a Venn diagram. So Paul says we don't follow the law of sin and death, the Levitical law. He says we follow the law of the Spirit. So the fact that there's overlap is a happy accident. So when I don't murder, it's because it's in my it's in my heart. I legitimately do not want to murder. And you know, someone would say that I've murdered exactly as many people in my life as I want to, and it's zero. So I'd say you know Jesus creates a new heart in us and makes us a new person, transformed in the image of Him. So we have this law of the Spirit in our conscience, like imprinted to us. So the fact that, you know, I don't want to lie, I don't want to cheat. I mean, not, not talking about what you were saying, we slip up sometimes because we're human. But, you know, I generally don't want to lie, cheat, steal, murder, do any of these bad things. And a lot of them are what the law says. So I'm not saying don't murder, or I'm not saying murder people and cheat and lie. I'm also saying the law won't save you. That's that's my position. Uh, yeah, guys, but, but there was... I'm sorry, if I could just real quick, because I don't want to, I wanted to address one thing you said, and then I'll stop hogging the mic. But, but the, so, so the, the problem is this conversation did start by you saying, well, the, the good thing about that Exodus passage is none of us are Israelites, and we don't have to worry about that. But then on the other hand, you're saying, well, we do have to keep some of the moral standards of the law. But I, I'm telling you, it's not just one silver bullet passage. Paul goes over multiple behaviors in different letters that are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. I could argue that Christ does the same. Revelation certainly does the same. But I do want to address the one thing you said about the law being the law of sin and death. I'll give you this one passage and then I'll stop hogging the mic if you'd like. So Romans seven twenty one. So I discover this principle, Paul says, when I want to do what is good, evil is in me. For in my inner self, this is important, in my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law. That's the Torah. It's often mis- misquoted and called Moses' law. I'm not saying you're doing that maliciously, but that's a bit of a misnomer. It's God's law. I joyfully agree with God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. So this law of sin and death is a different law than God's law because he says in my inner self, I delight in God's law. But there is a different law, the law of sin and death, that is waging war in my flesh. So and then right here at the end, then I'll stop. I thank God through Jesus, a wretched man that I am, who will rescue me, right? Then verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am a slave to the law of God. 
So he's still a slave to the law of God and he delights in the law of God as per seen in the previous verse. But in my flesh, he says, to the law of sin. So the law of sin and death is a different law than that of the law of God. It's not the Torah. It's the law of sin and death is the thing that keeps us down because the wages of sin is death. Our flesh by itself cannot free itself. We need the spirit to do that. But in his inner self, in the spirit, he still delights in the law of God. So those are two different. Well, I'd also say the law of God, you know, like, again, if someone read, like I would end this by saying Galatians. And by the way, I didn't say you must follow the law. Like I specifically said, we are not bound by the Levitical law, but we still don't murder. So when we don't murder, it's not because Nate says you have to follow the law that says that don't, the law of, of the Levitical law that says don't murder. It's because you're following the law of the spirit, the law that's imprinted on your conscience as a human being that says don't murder. So that's that's the thing. I'm not I'm not saying you have to follow some laws. I'm saying some people will say that and I would contest them because they don't know what they're talking about. So I'd say the fact that, you know, we don't lie, cheat, steal and murder and all these things isn't because the law tells us not to do these things. It's because we're following the law of the spirit that God placed in our hearts that makes us not want to do these things. So coincidentally, a lot of times people who say you have to follow the law versus those who say you don't. Usually, if you just like line up, like line up their their stuff over the law and transpose them. In my experience, the people who say you don't have to follow the law actually do a better job of following the law than people who say you have to follow the law. It's, it's just kind of funny. But um, I would say as far as the, the point about the laws, if someone reads Galatians, just all of it, it's like a 30-minute read. If someone reads Galatians, especially like around 4 and 5, Paul like lays out the contrast between the actual law, the 613 commandments, uh, versus the law of the Spirit. And there's no one that can say it better than Paul says it because he takes like multiple chapters to say it. Um, so in, anyway, if someone still comes away with the understanding at that point, assuming they've read the rest of the Bible um, and thinks that you must follow the law or some of the laws or something like that. And they get to Acts 21 where he talks about, guys, why are you trying to place undue burdens that even we couldn't keep on these people? He's like, look, for those who believe in Christ, abstain from sexual immorality, blood, drinking blood, foods offered from idols, and they'll do well. We should not place any more burden upon them. This seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. So if someone reads all that and still thinks you have to follow the laws, then, I mean, you know, you're free to do what you want, but that would be my final um, argument. Um, I, it's the shame that you didn't actually address the Romans 7 passage that I brought up, but... Well, I did by Galatians. Well, well I well, thought... Yeah, because you, okay, you can say... All right. Well, yeah, look, I'm well my answer to your Romans Galatians, 7 was Galatians. Yeah, but I'm showing you that, and I can show you even in Galatians, he calls the law of sin and death the thing that is at war in our members, the thing that is at uh, at play in our flesh until the spirit, re you know, gives us life, gives us hope. So anyway, but yeah, that's... Uh, okay, I got it. I got it. Oh, oh, hey, well, hang on real fast, Jacob. By the way, uh, yeah, Angel, we're coming right to you. Um, you can you can answer this in, in chat. Was it Jacob? Was that your name? The real just Jacob? Uh, Mac, by the way, says he, he does support the law um, and he supports slavery. So I don't know if you want to, you know, if, if you're pro-slavery as well, but um, apparently he supports the Levitical law uh, so much to have slaves. So if you want to if you want to speak to that uh, in the pro or negative sense um, about following the law, including slavery may not be the be best thing. Um, I'd be interested to see how that goes. But yeah, yes, I mean, Angel, that's a common uh, you want attack something? against the Torah. Oh, no, I, I believe him. You know? Like, I actually think he supports it. I, I yeah, don't think he's trolling. I'm I really sure think he, he probably doesn't it. understand biblical slavery if he's saying that unironically. Okay. Well, you got, you can explain that in chat if you like. And other, I mean, stay stay around if you like. We'll come back to you. But Angel, what's up? Uh, okay, so my question is, uh, so basically you guys are talking about 
uh, it, 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 to enter heaven, we must follow the the laws of old, and we must keep them in our hearts. Is, is is that kind of the base of the argument? That is not my position. My position is no. That's I, not mine either. No. Oh, okay. So resounding no. <laughs> okay. Well, 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 you know, I, I'm not trying to. Act, you know, I don't know much. You know, just just what I've what I've read is that you know. Jesus said, you know, obviously he did come to abolish it. He, he, as a matter of fact, he added to the law. So it's a new, God added to the new law. I remember he said before it was just, you can murder, but now as you have murder in your heart, then, you know what I mean? Obviously after that, you know, you'll be committing murder. So there was, there was things added to the law. He, he didn't add to the law. He clarified the law. So, so Jesus didn't come to add to the law or subtract to the law. The law is the law. It was perfect when it was given. Jesus no, no, but, but, but Jesus also said it's not just about committing adultery. He said, if, you know, if you look at a woman with lust, you have already committed adultery in your heart. So it's no longer right. about before it was just if you just it, it was the act of no, adultery. No, now it's just this, this. Uh, Chris, you do are not understand. Chris, you are a little distant and hard to hear. But he's talking about the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law, right? So the letter of the law says— that was always says, the case. That was in the right, Torah the, as well. But that's what Chris is saying. Like the spirit of the law, like the way you're supposed to understand the law was always there. Um, so when it says, you know, uh, whatever, uh, if you even look on a, you know, don't commit adultery. But he's saying, no, no, the the spirit of the law, the, what you're supposed to get this whole time for all these years was it's not just about don't commit adultery. Uh, physically, he's saying even if you look on someone, you know, with lust, you're already committing adultery in your heart. So the law says don't commit adultery, and he's saying, well, don't even look on a, a woman with lust, or you're committing adultery. So don't look at a woman, like don't do adultery in any sense, even this part over here that you've been missing for hundreds of years. Uh, Chris, were you able to get a better mic? Yeah, sure. How's this? Uh, I think so. That's good. Okay. So what I was going to say is that. The point Jesus is trying to make is that it is hopeless. It is 100% hopeless for anyone to try and keep the law. You will fail. He is trying to point out that there is no way a human being can justify themselves by keeping the law. This is why Jesus lived a perfect life. So when he died and resurrected, he offers his perfect life to stand in for us. It's called um, uh, something called double imputation. He imputes his righteousness to us. He gives us his righteousness that he lived a perfect life. And then he took on our sin. Okay. Well, I guess Angel. Uh, oh. I'm going to say he um, agrees with everything you said and just had to go. What's up, Fury? If you're speaking. Well, Chris, how's your morning going? You know, I woke up at like, was it like six? And I, I just like looked on Clubhouse because I, I wanted to change my PTR because I saw it and it's hilarious. Um, can't believe no one mentioned that. But um, I saw that you were in a room talking. I thought, goodness, how early does this guy start Clubhouse? And then I noticed that it took you a while to get in here. So were you just like having a, a midnight snack or couldn't sleep and went back to bed? No, I have had a rough morning. So today is the first day of Ligonier, which I am on my way to, which I was supposed to be there an hour and a half ago. Oh. But I had a client emergency this morning. 
and had to go and deal with that before I could make my way out to Ligonier. So I am driving to Ligonier right now and I'm about 10, 15 minutes away from it. But um, I am doing a Ligonier live stream all day. So anyone who is interested in the Ligonier National Conference, um, it's going to have the greatest preachers in the world there this week. Um, and they are all going to be teaching for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and it is going to be live streaming on Clubhouse um, with um, like perfect audio because it's coming through a computer on Club Deck, you know, without a microphone. What does uh, Legionnaire actually mean? Like, is that a made up word or? <laughs> no, it's a place. So, what happened is when R.C. Sproul graduated from seminary, in, in a wealthy old widow donated a bunch of land to his ministry in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. And so they built, huh. and so interestingly enough, they built a teaching center to teach people that were coming out of the Jesus movement, you know, like Connie and the Lonnie Frisbee stuff. Like yeah. long-haired hippie Jesus freaks yeah. in, the, in the early 70s. So they built this entire center to just have people come and live and hang out and learn actual theology oh interesting interesting right yeah so uh, like, see that's the kind of stuff i would have known if i would have got my theological uh, degree just like rc thunberg did exactly although rc had multiple doctorates and he didn't get any of them um, uh what is the word uh, honorary honorary doctorates R.C. spoke six languages and uh, read six languages. So it's, uh, that was pretty impressive. Well, that's a little better than me. It's a lot better than me. The man spoke German, Dutch, English, uh, Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. So wait, how many is that? That might have been seven. Oh, in French. Sorry, he didn't, he didn't speak French. <clears throat> Let's see. Uh, Fury, you still not speaking? Or Jacob, anything else on your mind? Bob. What's up, Bob? Uh, I was listening to uh, Chris and, you know, what he was talking about fixing to come up and happen, I guess, this weekend. And uh, yeah. I, I'm holding it's to... Like right it's like right Yeah, it's happening now huh well i'm surprised they didn't get me to come and teach you know on <laughs> how to overcome the trinity cause... chris make that request when you get there say you got a guy that yeah, needs sure. to be the keynote so, yeah bob uh, my brother-in-law actually my wife's um brother he is the chief of staff of ligonier and i went to college and taught bible studies at the ceo of ligonier's house chris larson Chris Larson and uh, my wife was in uh, Jennifer Larson's wedding, you know, Jennifer and Chris. So, you know, we're very, very well acquainted with all of the leadership of Ligonier. I will put a good word in for you because, you know, maybe maybe 600 years of reformed tradition needs a, needs a shot in the arm, Bob. Maybe you can give them a little of that down-home wisdom. <laughs> that that that'd be great. I I knew a Bob Larson. He was at one thirty six A Denver, Colorado. Uh, you 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 probably never heard of him though. No, I 
Well, until you're Chris the Lutz. guest speaker at Ligonier, uh, Darren, what's up? Yeah, hi. Nate, I wanted to ask you a question, if that's okay. Sure. You mentioned at the, at the top of your discussion, uh, the greatest preachers are going to be on a live stream. Is that right? I said nothing of the sort. I, that was Chris, maybe, that was talking about that okay. com- conference he's going to. Yeah. yeah. Is it, it's Chris. Yeah. Chris, c- can you explain what the greatest preacher is? You know, define it from how does it work? Is there like a scale of preaching or something like that? Well, to be fair, I don't think yes. he, Did you say the greatest preachers on earth? Or did you just say yeah. some like good, good speakers? No, I mean, these are, these are considered the, the greatest preachers that are oh, available well, okay. in Christianity. I mean, like, you're talking about Steve Lawson, Stephen Nichols, Sinclair Ferguson, Bodie Bauckham. These are all luminaries in Christianity, and they are going to be at one conference at one time. It's extremely impressive. Like, so what makes an impressive preacher? They can convince you the most, like that. No, that they're the most accurate to the scripture. Preachers have nothing in and of themselves. It is that they are able to elucidate the divine revelation as given in the scripture. Whoever does that the best is going to be the best preacher, by definition. Okay, so can I just ask you, how would they know? Um, because we use the literal historical grammatical method to read and interpret the scripture just as the writers did. And so what we're trying to do is we are trying to get at the absolute uh, closest way we can to the original author's intention for every single text. So, so could they be flawed? Of course. And that's why, and that's why we continue to do research on history and culture, and uh, you know the context and the audience and all of these things, so that we can continue to try and understand more about who the writer is and what he was trying to say. Okay, thank you. That's it. Absolutely, not a problem. Have a great day. Yeah, and I think I mean you know to just add because no one else is in a hurry to talk. Um, by the way, if anyone else has a question or wants to ask stuff, please stick around. They're in you too. Um, but I would say, you know, also to the accuracy, because everyone can always say, but what about this? What about that? And I think, you know, objectively, you would say like, you know, you take a group of people who, you know, they, they spend their lives, they spend years, they spend decades pouring over their scriptures, you know, the, the correct, like he said, grammatical, you know, the whatever, the author's intent. And, you know, they're like going through ancient tomes, different manuscripts. They're like really like digging down into this to try to get exactly uh, to the nuance of what the author intended versus someone else saying, well, how do you know my interpretation isn't, re- uh, isn't correct? You know, I read this in two different translations on you Bible, so I'm just as valid as you. I know exactly what it means. It's like, well, OK, it doesn't mean one can be right and one can be wrong doing years of study versus 10 minutes of reading. Um, but you know, there's a pretty good chance just like scholarship wise, um, the person who's spent years of really digging into this and the author's intent is probably going to have a closer to accurate, uh, understanding than the person who's just like, you know, this was revealed to me in the 10 minutes I read it on you Bible. Um, anyways, that would just be my quick little addition to the conversation. Uh, Darren, think, is there uh, anything you can I do? Think, uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Darren. Yeah, thanks. No, I just want to say, like, in light of that information, 
Um, it seems to me that you've said the, the greatest preachers on earth or words to that effect, uh, you know, they could be flawed. And yet it almost sounds like, don't take this the wrong way, that like you're idolizing them in, in such a way where, you know, logically, you know, they could be incorrect, they could be wrong, they could be flawed. But in light of that information, you still choose to, you know, give them this flamboyancy, this know-all knowledge or more than I, that type of thing. Can you rule that out as well? Uh, well, again, this is back to Chris because no one's ever going to rightly accuse me of that. No, I, I take little stock yeah. in, in people. I can respect the abilities. I can respect their study and their effort. But, you know, it stops there. As far as, you know, the one mediator between God and man, the claim that Jesus is it, uh, that's my go-to. So, you know, I don't I, – like so much of this stuff is peripheral to, you know, what we call the gospel, what you believe are the must-haves. And we believe that's pretty difficult to mess up. Like even out of all the denominations of Christians, most of them get it right. There's very few that we would say mess it up so bad to the point of, you know, being like a cult. Um, so it, when he says, you know, believe in me, repent, believe the gospel, uh, you must be born again. I'll give you eternal life to whoever wants it. Just ask, follow me. Um, we believe that's pretty difficult to mess up. So like a lot of the things like, you know, these, these preacher and the scholarship goes to because by and large, the gospel is so difficult to mess up. People still manage but it's so difficult to mess up that a lot of this stuff is like secondary issues or tertiary issues. Like, you know, we all know, we all believe we're saved by the same way, but how does that work? What are the mechanics? What is, you know, trying to kind of get into the mind of God a little bit and like how this stuff works. Or, you know, if we're talking about like stuff that totally doesn't matter for the gospel, like, you know, uh, Pharaoh in Egypt or, you know, like Noah's flood or stuff that just doesn't have to do directly with the gospel, but is still part of the Bible and history that people want to understand. So don't know if that helps. Uh, but Chris, if you want to defend your idols. Right, yeah, we don't <laughs> idolize them. I happen to disagree with Dr. Bach on, on quite a few things. Um, but we can amicably disagree on secondary and tertiary issues um, while having incredible respect for his scholarship. Um, you know, he has multiple PhDs, speaks multiple languages, has studied this stuff for 30 years. Um, he is an excellent scholar and an amazing preacher. And so when I say the greatest preachers in the world, I'm not exaggerating. These people are luminaries within Christendom, um, and they should be given deference and listened to as pastors. Um, does that mean that we do everything they say blindly and we follow them or idolize them or worship them? No, absolutely not. Um, it simply means that we have a great amount of respect for the amount of work and the amount of scholarship that they have put into their chosen And Darren, um, I see you London in your profile. Is there anything you can do to make the new season of Ted Lasso um, get those episodes out a little bit faster for me? I, I'm afraid I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm sorry. Oh, it's, a, oh, it's a comedy drama based in London, and season three just came out, but it, they only do like one episode a week. Uh, yeah, I don't watch any of that stuff, uh, to be honest. So sorry, I can't help you. Well, anyway, never mind. Back to the Bible. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. I'm jumping. Uh, the, Jacob, you were going to say something a bit ago. No, I was going to say earlier, um, I think Serendipity was going to say something, but I cut her off. Oh. So I don't know. No, I'd rather hear what you have to say. <laughs> no worries, then. I just wanted to make sure. Bob, I want to hear. I want to hear how you... Fix, I forgot the words you used, but you said uh, 
you can you can help people get over or like you know as if they were kicking the problem of lust or something but it was the trinity so i want to hear your uh how do you do that Bob doesn't want to share that knowledge with us. We'd have to go to his uh, conference, probably. Uh, yeah, it would. It would take probably a little bit longer than Nate would want me to be speaking for me to explain. You know, how I appreciate to overcome, that, Bob. <laughs> overcome the Trinity, but maybe, maybe give uh, us I, the highlights. Give us the highlights. Uh, well, I can put it in a real short form. Stop believing lies of the devil. And I agree, Bob. Stop believing lies of the devil. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Hey, I want to know really is is this thing that Chris is going to is it going to be on YouTube or how? how it is, is right now, the, and you can go listen to it on Clubhouse right now. If you, um, uh, you know what, Nate, do you want do you want me to send you the link? You can post the link to Ligonier. Uh, sure, or just throw it in chat until I can grab it. I'm in a pretty intense Fortnite battle. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's. At least we agree on if you quit believing the lies of the devil, you'll probably know the truth. Uh, that's that's pretty simple. But anyway, thank you, Nate. I mean, Bob, if you were preaching to the, if you're, you know, preaching to yourself, I totally agree, one hundred percent with you. <laughs> Nate, I figured out why we why we've disagreed at all today because you play an inferior um, online shooter. If others, you say something like Call of Duty. Yeah, of course. Oh, boy. Man, I played that all the way up to like Modern Warfare or Advanced Warfare or whatever the third one was. Well, that's your Modern problem. Warfare. Those were terrible. No, I love those. Like oh, Advanced I, Warfare? That was a terrible Call of Duty. No, Modern Warfare 2 is my favorite one. Uh, that was the... Good. And, that's good. And, um, but yeah, my problem was I, I you know didn't play any of the Call of Duty series for so long. And then they had like a free weekend with one of the one of the newer ones, and mm -hmm. it was it was like so realistic that it wasn't fun. It was like you know like uh, you could you could run very very short distances. I mean you know yeah that's like probably the life. new one. That's probably the new which, one. Yeah, which, which is the appeal like for that. some. But I'm like man, come on, give give me a little bit. Like let me run a little bit far, faster and farther. I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> so I so do you think? Like, so you uh, said something. What, Chris? Oh yeah, sorry, Chris. Sorry, I just I just say I posted the link in the chat and I sent it to you in the back channel. Okay, thank you. So you said uh, Nate, and you said it jokingly. So maybe you were just joking. That's totally fine. But you said to Bob, if you were preaching to yourself about not believing lies of the devil, then that'd be fine. So do you think if someone doesn't believe in the Trinity, that that's uh, a lie of the devil that they should, which would imply they're not saved? I'm assuming. Well, it could just be an omission. Like, if they never hear about the Trinity, I mean, it's hard to say it's a lie in the affirmative if, if they just it's been omitted. Like, they've just never heard of it. So I'd say, you know, the, right. the common thing is you, you don't need to believe in the Trinity be, to be saved. Like, if you just hear the gospel about Jesus, place your faith in him, at that moment, you're saved. So you didn't need to know anything about the Trinity. But, I mean, if you grab a Bible and have eyes, you're eventually going to get around to probably reading about the guy you say you serve. And you're going to read the Bible, and we believe— that, you know, because the Bible makes the claim the Holy Spirit will live with you and, you know, lead you and guide you in your understanding, that you're going to start seeing the Trinity, just like, you know, everyone else who believes in the Trinity sees it all throughout Scripture. And you're going to be like, well, you know, what is this? I have some questions. And, uh, you know, you're eventually going to be led in the right direction. So maybe if you start going down that road and stop and never think about it again, 
Well, no. Uh, but eventually, if someone's like, well, this is it. Here's a fuller understanding of what we believe the scriptures are telling us about God. And you're like, oh, I get it. God is three in one. That's how he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, yet the Father is greater than all. Um, or if they start hardening their heart, we would say, and ends up becoming like a vicious opponent of the Trinity, uh, see Bob, then we think that that could, you know, I mean, ultimately it's between God and them. And I hope the grace of God extends, uh, you know, to very ridiculous proportions. Um, but I believe that's super error and, you know, like a heresy with a capital H. Um, so, I mean, Isn't I don't want to say... kind of a ad populum fallacy, though? You're saying because the majority of Christians have believed it for the last... Oh, no. Uh, no, it's well, not. I, 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 just now, I never talked about the populace. I never talked about how long Christians have believed it. You said like, just like times... most. You said just like most. You said well, yeah, but you, you will what, read what, these words, and just like most, you will see it. So that's oh, a, no, no, I, ad populum I, I meant, fallacy. No, no, I, I meant... Well, first of all, I didn't have anything to do with the length of time. But no, no, I didn't mean most as in most Christians. I meant like the Trinitarians. Like you will see it, like how the Trinitarians came to see it. But you, what you about what I'm the I'm scholars? Not saying, I'm, like, well, well, I'm sorry. I'm hang sorry, on. I just, yeah. want, I, just, I just want to clear this up. So I didn't mean it like, and then they will see it just like most Christians. Um, I was saying it like they will okay. see it just like the Trinitarians who have came before them have seen it. That's what I meant. Not, not a okay. populum. I'm saying like just like all the other people who have been swayed by this they will be account accounted in that number. Yeah, that's it's still flawed reasoning, though, respectfully, because, I mean, you got guys that have studied the scriptures for 30 years that are biblical Unitarians that, right, would disagree with you. So, you know, it's we, we, we would have to talk about the specifics, I guess. I'm not a Trinitarian, in case that's not clear, but you're not. Um, no, I'm a biblical Unitarian. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, but again, my, my point wasn't. Uh, to appeal as a reason, like I think that, that, that was would be sarcasm, like... <laughs> serendipity. <laughs> Sorry, there, Nate. <laughs> I, I oh, got no, that I... after after about two seconds. I was like, oh, I I'm pretty sure she's being sarcastic. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, but I, I was back. I was backing up to be like, hey, Jacob. You know, if I if I jump in a pool and I tell you water's wet, and there's lots of other people who I've told water is wet, and they jump in the pool, and you're you're kind of on the fence. You're like, I don't know. It looks wet. Looks like there's something to it. I'm not really sure. And then you jump in the pool. But great. Now you're just like all of us who have jumped in the pool. Jake, Th that's what I meant. It has nothing to do with the reason for convincing you. I'm just saying it is how it is. Like just reporting the news. It, Not a believable. Yeah, go ahead. Serendipity. Sorry. I was just going to say it wasn't sarcasm. <laughs> it wasn't? It wasn't. Oh, oh okay. I very, rare, <laughs> I very rarely hear somebody that I agree with so much about like oh, Torah <laughs> and the Old Testament testament scripture and then to find out that you're not a trinitarian oh crushed my heart Did it. i'm sorry i'm sorry that's not it wasn't my intention um there yeah i mean there's a lot of reasons why i'm not i mean scriptural reasons like i the first guy i ever heard tell me that you know was i was like you're crazy you're nuts dude that's you're way off the path you know but like got to know him over the years and uh just you know we talked about it more and i read the scripture more for myself we argued about it like vehemently, like we're still friends at the end of it, but you wouldn't know it while we were arguing. You know, we argued about it for like weeks and weeks and weeks, probably probably months. And then, you know, just slowly but surely, I was like, man, I, all my defenses that I had for this belief scripturally are just getting whittled down to nothing. And I'm realizing that linguistically and contextually, it's just not the it's not the case. You could check out the website if you want serendipity. The This friend I'm talking about has a website. It's called uh, yourpastorlies.com. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of an bit of an inflammatory name, I know, um, but yeah, it's pretty good, pretty easy to remember. 
He's got so a think- ton of articles on there, though. He's been studying the scripture for like 30 years. And yeah, so go ahead. So Nate. do you think that uh, the Trinitarian belief will, uh, you know, send someone to hell or do you think, you know, that's no, close I do not. No, I do not. I do think it depends on their attitude about it a little bit. But I, I suppose that's kind of like a general statement about someone's heart. Right. Which is acceptable to most believers. Um, you know, if your heart's not in the right place and you have all this lip service, you know, then that would be bad. So, so if you're walking around condemning others who are not Trinitarians, um, that's a problem, right? Because scripture doesn't say that, you know, the, that is a requirement for saving belief. You know what I mean? You already said that. So yeah, you're, you're good. And there would be some people that would be very, very, you know, quicker. Like you, you could tell, like, if you're, if you're alive a few hundred years ago, they probably would have definitely burned you at the stake. Um, right, but, right. And, and, but they would take sort of a similar position to me and say it's not necessary. But if you hear it, you're not going to become obstinate and like, you know, be an apologist against it. If you are, then you're damned to hell. And I would say, well, you know, if you do that, then I'm not going to pronounce damnation on someone. But I'd say I believe it's a grievous error, like totally, totally bad error, um, you know, and hopefully God's grace extends. I, I don't know. I'm not God. So I don't want to, like, you know, Wait. go around pronouncing hellfire on people. Sure. I'm I'm curious because personally, my interpretation is that if you don't really believe that the, in the deity of Christ, that you're kind of not believing in Christ. Oh yeah, let me let me clarify real fast. So I, I'm I'm not ta- I'm not saying like you know any other position is great. I'm just saying like that's my view on the Trinity. So then uh, I, I'm not I'm not saying anything else about um you know like people that believe Jesus was. Yeah, I think the deity of Christ, like, absolutely bad, yet yeah, firewood for Satan. So I don't know how many Unitarian or Oneness-type positions there are. I think most or all Oneness would believe the deity of Christ. I don't know if some Unitarians do or don't. But I would say, yeah, the, the Trinity is a different issue. So if you get around that by saying, you know, they believe in the deity of Jesus, yet, uh, um, you know, they don't believe in the Trinity, I'm not, I'm not speaking to any other opinion because I'm not that familiar with them. But I guess Jacob can tell me now. Like, do you believe in the deity well, of Christ? Because I would say that would be a bigger issue than, like, the Trinity. Yeah, well, my understanding of what that means is definitionally based on, you know, the Hebrew word Elohim, because that would have been the language they, you know, spoke, or, or arguably Aramaic, I suppose. You know, sure, the gospel was written in Greek, and even then it doesn't change the word theos or theon, you know, being God versus Elohim in the Hebrew. What I'm saying is that's a word that, that indicates one with power, or a spiritual being. And so in that sense, absolutely, Christ is is deity now, and uh, he is the God of the creation that his father made. That's that's how I see it. It's just like Moses was God to Pharaoh, and uh, Aaron was his prophet, right? And just like Joseph was the ruler of all of the land and only answered to Pharaoh, well, that's the same thing we see. Let me ask you Jacob, when you say just like Moses, what do you mean by just like? Like exactly well, like yeah, or no, similar to? Yeah, I should have said similar. Yeah, okay. I should have said similar. Yeah, fair enough. But no, you know, no, that's Elohim by its definition is a plural. Yeah, it's a plural. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a it's a plural. It doesn't it doesn't indicate persons unless you make it indicate persons. So, do do you know that the word Elohim is used? to describe the city of Nineveh in Jonah chapter 4. I believe it's verse 2. Uh, it, says Jonah, it says Nineveh. It's in, the, it's in the text. You can go look up the 
manuscripts and in the manuscripts, exceedingly great city, where it says Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. The phrase exceedingly great in some translations is the word Elohim. Um, in Genesis 39, I believe it is, where Rachel and Leah are having a struggle between the two of them, an exceedingly great struggle. That is the word Elohim. So no, that's it is not, not a word that there's. So this, this, this is interesting is. because yeah. I, I, I can't believe that the same word specifically would be used to describe a city as it does God himself. Yeah, I promise you that it is. That's the problem. Is is well, what the, translation what are you using then? I suppose no, it's not about a translation. It's about the original Hebrew text. I'm talking well, the, about I'm, the original Hebrew text. Well, I mean, if you want to go to the original, I mean, the original Hebrew, like you know, there, there's there's not a there's not a written word for it. I mean, you know, if we're talking about Yahweh, like you know, Jesus is is defined. His title is Yahweh, like in the Bible. I, I forget where. I'm happy well, to find it, but in the Old Testament, agree. You, see yeah. it, <laughs> yeah. you see it's anonymous. Just like when he says, you know, it uses the same title in, in Exodus that God used when he says, when Moses says, hey, who do I tell, you know, you sent, uh, who do I tell sent me? And he says, tell them I am sent you. And then he goes on to say his name is Yahweh, but he says, tell them I am sent you. And then you see Jesus being identified later as Yahweh. And then if that's not enough, which clearly it isn't for you, but, um, you know, then you see him using the same I am title. And when people well, try I don't to see interpret where he's that identified as Yahweh, though, Nate, I don't want to, I don't want to cut you off, but I don't want to let you go on and, you know, I don't, I don't see where Jesus is identified as Yahweh, right? That's okay. what I've been looking for. I haven't. Found yeah, this it. is the danger with translations and old. Let me grab that for you. <laughs> these extraditional. No, no, but this is the problem I have with a lot of, well, with most um, Christians, I would say, who who delve into this stuff because there, there's so much danger in other people's interpretations of things, uh, which this is are not wildly. An interpretation. I just gave you the definition of the word, and then other places. Right. It's you're, used. you're telling me that Elohim is the term that's used to describe the city of Nineveh, which I can almost guarantee text. you that yeah. it's that's unequivocally incorrect. Okay. Well, how about you look it up and write? Sure. Where did you go? Hey Nate, oh, there can you I got, ask like, Nate a question? Out of the room somehow. I think I accidentally oh. clicked on another room. Sorry. Uh, sure, Bob, and welcome, Michael. Oh, oh hang on. Uh, Gia was Gia's first. She popped in, and I'll get that reference for you, Jacob. It's in. It's in one of the. Um, I forget. It was during COVID. It was the. Um, well, I'll, I'll find the reference. But Gia, what's up? So, if Bob's question has anything to do with the topic of conversation, I can wait because it's not got anything to do with it <laughs> i want to hear you gia oh okay <laughs> so um i wanted to ask like what do you guys think of um homeschooling children as opposed to sending them to public school because this is something that i've been thinking of doing because as you know the schooling system is just getting worse and worse they're trying to introduce crazy things to children but then on the other side of things it's like they're going to go out into the world one day and see those things anyway. So I guess I just wanted to hear you guys' opinion on that. Like what what you think is better. As uh, someone who homeschools his kids, if no one else cares, can I speak on that? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so me and my wife homeschool our daughter. And uh, we uh, have found that it's been a huge blessing for sure. 
um, in our lives. I, I work, she is a stay at home mom. And so I realized that some people's schedules are, it's really, really hard to do that next to impossible, sometimes even impossible. But for us, we do have the schedule that allows that she is her teacher primarily. I'll help here and there if she needs it, but she's got it down pretty well. We follow a curriculum by this um, company called the good and the beautiful. It's a, a Christian based curriculum, but it is totally in line with what they need to know to get by in the world as well. Um, anyway, the, the thing about them going out into the world eventually, so what's like, not to mischaracterize your question, but what's the difference essentially is that the difference is that when they're in this young, impressionable age, teach, you need to be the one and you and your family need to be the one to teach them the ways of God and to bring them up right in the way that they should go. So when they are old, they won't depart from it. Right. That's what the scripture says. And so when they have this instruction now, it's not about lying to them about the world. It's not about hiding them from the world. It's not about trying to put them in a bubble. It's about making sure they're ready to deal with the evil that is in the world. And I don't think sending them to public school and having them inundated with all of these different ideologies and having kids tell them they're wrong, peer pressure and whatnot is going to be the best for them personally. And that's why we homeschool our daughter. But um, that's just my thoughts. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, because um, even me, like I'm not married, so I was even thinking about that as well. Like how, how would it work? But I don't know what God is going to do in my life. So, but it's just something that I've really been considering because, yeah, like you said, all the pressures of other children and whatever else is going on. I even heard um, a message from, forgive me, please. I don't know how to pronounce his surname, but for the Bokum, Bokum. I don't know because I'm from the UK. Oh, you said it right. I don't know how to... You said it right. Oh, Bodhi I did. Bokum. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I heard some messages from him. If you if you've not heard them already, even though you guys are already homeschooling, um, you should check it out. It's actually really good, and it really made me think about it. But yeah, I'm I'm sure God will make a way. It's not a conviction of mine, but it's something that I really want to do because. I'm just seeing more and more corrupt things in these schools, like introducing books about homosexuality and whatever else. Like, I don't really want my child to be exposed to this and be seeing children being applauded for doing those things and then her thinking that it's good. But yeah, yeah there's, that's, there's that's almost no good. classical psychology that would agree that introducing children as young as they are to these sexual concepts is good, period. Like even secular psychology you know, going as far back as you can. And I know psychology evolves, but th there's almost no psychologist that would, that would say that that's a good thing to do unless they're just caving to the pressures of, right, of the world today. <laughs> so, yeah, I appreciate the, the you know, I'll check out Vody Bakum's things on homeschooling because, yeah, it's something me and him would agree on for sure. And as I said, the if you are interested, the, the thing that we use is called the good and the beautiful. If you go on their website, they have a full curriculum you can buy. You can buy it piece by piece as well. Because sometimes it gets a little expensive, so we do that, you know. And uh, real fast, uh, before I come back to you, Gia, just to clear up the other end, um, if you care, I don't think I don't think you will. You won't be convinced by it. But what I was talking about is, I think it's the Jerusalem Bible, and there's some other there's some other translation that basically transliterates the YHWA, the, the Yahweh, and they they use Lord like the capital Lord, like how other translations will. But when they do it, they're deriving Lord and saying that's Yahweh, and they're just saying Lord like capital L Lord. So that's that's why they get that. And I know it's a translation and, you know, I'm sure that's not going to sway you, but that's the reference I was talking about. 
Uh, Gia, as far as homeschool, we just talked about this the other day. And um, I, I, I mean, in a perfect world, I would love to have both my kids in uh, Christian school. Um, unfortunately, it's really pricey. So yeah, I, I just try. I'm trying to do the best I can to keep tabs on their teachers and, you know, interacting with them and stuff like that. And, you know, checking out all the stuff they bring home. And um, it seems like the school we go to is kind of secluded. Um, and it seems like a lot of the teachers are, are like older and have been doing this for like 30 years. And, uh, you know, they're, they're like the traditional kind of let's just teach these things how to read and write and do math. Um, so I feel I feel pretty OK about that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the first time there's something weird I don't like, um, that would probably be the threshold for me pulling them out and homeschooling my, them myself, which would be a disaster. So I hope that doesn't come. So, uh, hey, if anyone wants to donate to my child's homeschool fund um, or, you know, private school fund. <laughs> but, yeah, so I, I would love to do that. Credit, Nate. I'm sure you'd be fine at it, bro. <laughs> Look, I'm not telling you that you won't have to relearn some stuff, okay, that you forgot by now because that's oh, probably I, true. And but. now they have – like I was trying to help them with math once, and they have like all the different ways of like doing math. I'm like, whoa, this yeah, is Yeah, you way don't even need that, right? Like, But you don't even need that. You can still learn to do math successfully. Look at all the engineers that existed before Common Core that built all these wonderful structures. You know what I mean? Come on. Can ChatGPT be their tutor? <laughs> yeah, ChatGPT. Oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, sorry, MG. Yeah, yeah, I, I see your hand now. Are you able to get up here? Hi, I just wanted to just add to the conversation. Hi, Gia. Um, so I'm in the UK as well, and I homeschool my older daughter. Um, my younger one's still in school at the moment, but that's mainly just because there's not so much. It's not as hard, I think, to monitor what they're they're learning. You know, the influence and all of that. But for secondary school, I think it's a bit more difficult. So that's why I took my older daughter out of school. But yeah, it's definitely doable and. Um, I would advise also speaking to your pastor, get some support from them. Um, they might know of some homeschool communities for you that you might want to look into. Um, so my daughter, she attends a homeschool group every couple of weeks. And then some of us mums have also gotten together to make another group that they can go to. Um, and yeah, we just follow a Christian education a curriculum. So it's just like workbooks and things like that where they tested and things like that, you know, it's definitely doable and I would highly recommend it. But I think just like, like um, Nate was saying, you know, you can monitor what they're learning at a young age, but it's becoming more and more difficult, especially over here in the UK, because there is so, it's so hostile to Christianity. There's um, a case at the moment, which is going through court and it's um, actually a church member who's in, who's in my church and he's a teacher and he accidentally misgendered a child. And so it's going through court and he could lose his teaching license. So it is becoming really difficult to stand up for what you believe in our education system but as long as you are willing and you don't mind taking that stance that that, um, that stand then I would say if it's easier for you to put them in school then then you can go that route if they're still young and just you know really monitor what they're learning and if there is something that you don't like just just speak up about it. Thank you thank you everyone um thank you um for the advice it really does help that you're in the UK as well um I actually spoke to my mentor, my pastor's wife, and she said that um, she knows some couples that have homeschooled, so that would be able to help me as well. And, yeah, I think it's just something that I need to um, prayerfully consider because, literally, it will be on one income, so I don't <laughs> my my own income, so I don't know how it would work, but God is good. He will, whatever he wants me to do, he will, he will help me. <laughs> 
And my child is only, she's about to be too soon. So I don't even know what the schooling system is going to be like when she goes to school. So that's scary. <laughs> yeah, it could it could be worse than it is now. But yeah, your, your daughter's still very young. And I'm, I'm on one income as well. I'm a single parent. So it's it's still doable. Um, there's a lot of help available. Don't be afraid. Some, yeah, don't be afraid. Just and raise your children when you have the time with them and it'll be much more than anyone else can do to influence them. Michael, where do you stand on homeschooling? Um, good morning, everyone. Um, Nate, I apologize, but, um, yeah. Uh, okay. So the, the, oh, I guess first I should say, um, happy atheist day. Uh, the day you preemptively apologize. It makes me nervous. Yeah. Um, happy Atheist Day, uh, the, the day where we, you know, um, practice the uh, exculpation of, of ourselves from the from some of the silliness that exists in the world. Um, now, uh, yeah, I don't have the capacity to be particularly charitable when it comes to this. The, the degree of so I, I think that homeschooling is something that can be done if you have the qualifications for it. Siri thinks on Prime Um Outside of that, the incredible hubris that you would need to display to think that you have the capacity to properly instruct a young mind to the same level as people that have gone through the formal education process is frankly staggering to me um and i think that um it it can be dangerous there've been a few things that that have been said while i've been listening here and and it's it it, it speaks to it speaks to a large problem one of them is that there was something was said basically uh to the effect of you know teach them these things while they're young so that they're prepared um which is a delicate way of avoiding words like indoctrination and inculcation. Um, it, 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 was, it was an old church father uh, that said, you know, give me the child when they're young and, and, I'll, and later I'll give you the man. Um, and and that, that would be a person that was already shaped with, with uh, beliefs. When you, when you indoctrinate a young mind, it can be incredibly difficult to free it later on um i'm i've always been of the mind where you teach where we should teach our children how to think not what to think and nate i applaud your effort to send your kids to school because that's where the teachers are um and yet still you know try to exercise responsible parenting making sure that, you know, things aren't going outside of, uh, you know, things that you strongly believe in. There was also the uh, insinuation that um, inappropriate teaching goes on at uh, perhaps inappropriate ages. Uh, this is something that is a, uh, is a unfortunate, and again, I, I lack the degree to be, the ability to be particularly charitable. This is a Christian and other religious talking point. It doesn't happen 
uh, as someone who's very active uh, in the school board uh, where I live, who who has the capacity to uh, see the curriculum used, uh, it it simply doesn't happen. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen on a more personal level where you may see a teacher that uh, injects a portion of their opinion into a lesson, but it is not underlined, underlined, triple underlined, not curriculum based, at um, least not in Canada. M maybe I should specify that. Um, but, but then on a professional side, and I'll wrap up in 10 seconds, on a professional side, I have seen for more than two decades what can happen when you teach kids what to think instead of how to think. And it's damaging and traumatizing. So I, I guess um, I, I would like to insert a lot of caveats for you that I hope you will agree with after I assert them. But um, I, I would say, first of all, you know, when you do absolutes, it's a sticky situation, which you kind of walked back from. So I don't know if all school boards in Canada do the exact same thing. But here, um, every school board is different. So every school board in, in every county, so that's like thousands um, in our country, determines uh, their own curriculum. So there are certain federal guidelines federal and state guidelines that must be taught, like, you know, a certain reading, math, propensity, things like that. Um, that being said, there are there are a lot of electives and, and lots of other additional curriculum that the school board uh, themselves are responsible for determining, which is why they have school board meetings and parent involvement. Uh, that being said, uh, there are act, uh, plenty of demonstrable examples of very good school boards that try to take a minimalistic approach and just follow state and uh, federal, like, basic essentials and put little extra into that. And there are demonstrable examples of school boards doing absolutely shocking things, uh, like even in my county, which is typically pretty tame, but we just had a huge blow up last year with the school board because they were trying to get all kinds of literature approved in our school. Um, and I, I believe they actually got it approved, but then they withheld on implementing it because there was such an uproar about like hyper-sexualized books that were going on and like, you know, these classes they were creating um, and like it, it showed pictures, like they were like com comical cartoon renderings, but it was like full naked people with like full zoomed in like genital stuff. And, and these are approved from like, like the, the really messed up one, the one I'm talking about, it was approved for like, I think three to five year old age range. And then it showed people for like the five to seven books. And, and you can find these on Amazon. Like they're, they're not, a, not a hiding at all. And they also were trying to get it, uh, not just like as a book on a library shelf, but they were trying to have these in classrooms and like, you know, basically make sure the kid sees them um, for, for sex education. And it showed like fully naked people like in sex positions, like, you know, like front, back, missionary style, like going crazy. Um, I'm, I'm like, what the heck? Um, so anyways, there was a huge fight in my county uh, last year and there was a school board election. Every single one of them, except the one school board member that was fighting against this, um, got voted out. So, I mean, I'm living example in my county uh, that happened and, and I'm considered a pretty, pretty tame county. Um, so I would say there like if, if this would have been in front of my kids, I absolutely would have schooled, sued the school district. Like whenever I, I saw these books, because people are like, check out these titles, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I checked out the titles and uh, someone actually bought the book so they could show people. I'm like, holy crap. So I verified that, yes, this is some of the titles they were trying to get like approved in my, my, it would have been my kid's classroom. I'm like, that absolutely is too far. Um, anyways. Um, so I like to think Michael that, um, generally speaking in a perfect world, 
that's fine. And teachers have credentials. What you were talking about indoctrination, I, I agree with. It's important to teach people how to think, not what to think. But like we also talked about, you know, certain things have been tried and, and tried and true enough times that we're like, hey, so you can better humanity. We're going to teach you what to think on some mundane things so you can get on to thinking about things that really matter because this, you know, it's like looking up is up. Um, you don't need to critically think that. Just tilt your head up. There you go. Um, unfortunately, when we get into actual indoctrination, if the, the qualified teacher is, you know, skilled on the latest methods and, and teaching how, you know, how to get a concept or this new method of teaching mathematics to make it easier and more efficient and more intuitive, then that's great. That's why they go to school for it, to learn how to teach. Um, but then if they start asserting their opinions about stuff and getting deviating wildly off the track of core, you know, core mechanics and of, of scholastic learning, and they start pushing their own agendas or especially like political agendas, that has no place in school. Um, I mean, maybe if you take a civics class or a poli-sci intro class in high school, but like whenever they just, they don't tell you why or anything, they just start telling you which political personalities uh, they like and which ones they should like. And anyways, you see where it's going. I think you would agree. Um, how often, how prevalent it is. Uh, maybe we just hear the shocking cases or, you know, I'm living in a county where there's a shocking case. Um, so maybe it's not super relevant. Maybe it is. But the fact that we do have examples of it being done should be enough to like make everyone put their antennas up. Um, then the last thing I'll say real quick about the homeschool thing, uh, you know, not, there's not one size fits all. So if you want, like the, I think the Mennonite thing you were saying was a loophole they were using to say it was homeschool and it was really to keep people dumb. Uh, that's mm. bad. But there's also homeschool where, you know, the parent, um, either, either through their own education, like they're an educator and, you know, they may actually have the qualifications um, or they've, they've been to school, they've got advanced degrees. So they're, they're basically, they were taught and now they're teaching them. It's like an apprenticeship. Um, so I would say that would be qualified. It doesn't mean you need a master's, um, you know, in every subject. Um, you've been through these subjects. You learn, you came out with flying colors. Now you're imparting your knowledge to the next generation. Um, the last thing is certain homeschools even have like, you know, video teaching or video checking in. So you do have that instruction. Um, and it's not just like, you know, some parent sitting in a house coat uh, teaching their kid. So that, that's all I think that covers all the bases. <laughs> Yeah, and and I think Nate, I I agree with a lot of what you uh, a lot of what you said. Like there there are areas where you and I are oceans apart, and there are areas where you and I are damn near next door neighbors. So I, I get that, and I agree with a lot of what of what you said. I think that I would stand beside you uh, and fight against showing a three year old that type of explicit material. Um, that's bad. I I I don't think that's right either. Um. And, and, and I would stand alongside you to prevent something like that. Um, but the opposite is also equally bad. And so I think that, and, and what I mean by that is um, showing or teaching people uh, things as though they were established factor science. Can you, right? can you example, um, give an example of what is equally as bad as teaching a three-year-old sexual So what things? I was doing, so Fury, what I was doing a minute ago is I was talking to Nate I'm not going to get into this with you again, okay? So just let me talk to Nate as I was, and then I'll decide whether or not I'm going to talk to you again because you couldn't be civil the last time. So I'm going to finish my conversation with Nate. So Nate, as I was saying, I think that um, I, I think that it's important to to teach uh, fact, not opinion. I I would I would also stand alongside you if someone was trying to say you know you know all of these things are the right ways to think politically. All of these ways are the right ways to think, uh, you know, so on and so forth. I would stand alongside you. Those aren't the types of things 
that should be taught in school. You lay, like again, like in in uh, in in an introduction to po into politics, they lay out the left, the center, and the right. They say these are the ideologies of these three parties, and they keep their opinions out of it. And I and I would I would fight alongside you, in in that in that same way. Now, if we could have the same thing for people who were te who were teachers who also held strong religious convictions, I would support that individual as a teacher too. Right? I would have no problem with someone having a personal strong religious conviction teaching a chemistry class as long as they stuck to the curriculum and didn't insert their personal beliefs into that. I, I would hope that you would also think that was equally wrong. And I, sure. and I think you would. Yeah, and I, and I, yeah, and I, and I believe, yeah, it was mo it's mostly rhetorical because I, I believe you would say the same thing. So I, I, again, I think that there are areas of agreement uh, that, that we have. And I think that the, and again, from, from a Canadian perspective, it's not easy for me to put myself in your shoes. And, and from, from what it sounds, some of the stuff you have to deal with, I'm glad I don't have to put up with that stuff. I also, my daughter's 26, educated and out on her own. So I don't have to deal with that kind of stuff anymore. So, it, but it, yeah, I, I don't think that those things are right either. Can, uh, is it all right, Michael? Cause you, you kind of, uh, said, yeah, can, can anyone else chime in on this or just, just two people in the room? Well, it was, I, well the only I, reason well, I was, so hang on. First of all, it's my room. I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing. Second of all, I was about to call on you fury, but Jacob went first. So everyone, oh, my take bad. A breath. I was, I was just no, going to no, say, cause go Michael ahead, was addressing something I said earlier about the indoctrination thing. So that's why, like, I'm the one who said that, that he was talking about. So that's why. But if Fury wants to go first, that's fine. I don't care. No, no, no go ahead. Uh, okay, so please go ahead. Okay, yeah. So all, all I was going to ask is, uh, let's pretend that your kid is at home, Michael, and, uh, you know, you have a young child again. You know, you're saying indoctrination's bad. Tell them how to think, not what to think. Um, what if your child starts coming up with this belief in God one way or another? you're going to you're going to not discourage that you're just going to say well well maybe just try to read it and see if it's true you're just going to say that do you mean to tell me that you wouldn't encourage their disbelief in god at all you mean to tell me you would just simply show them how to read or something like that and that's it yeah so my daughter was uh was a christian until about 5 years ago uh when her mother and i uh separated she felt it was important to continue her religious instruction, and I said, uh, I said that I would agree to that under certain under certain terms, which we agreed to, um, and and that was fine. And she Is would it too personal to ask what those are. I, I don't know which, what 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 are. the terms were because I uh, feel it was like that's going to be relevant. I'd have to break out my separation agreement from twenty plus years ago. I'm not going to do that. I, like essentially in Canada, what basically. What, what I said was, is, is you, you can take her, like in a nutshell, you can take her to church, but as soon as you're done with church, I get her for a couple of hours to talk to her about what it was she learned, basically. Right, isn't that, isn't that you're just like doing reverse indoctrination, like you're just saying, I'm going to make sure that you don't believe these silly things that your mother tried to get you to believe. That's all you're, you're, you're doing the same thing you're like accusing us of, right? That's super interesting projection, because you're assuming that that's <laughs> okay. what I did. What I, what, well, what I said that's was, what I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah. What I said was, is I, I would talk to her about what it was she learned. Never once did it escape my lips that I said, no, I'm like, once we're finished, once you're finished at church, I'm taking you to the museum of natural history to show you how it all really happened. We didn't do that. I allowed her to investigate and ask me questions. And it continued on into her 
late adolescence and early adulthood. And right, then she made but, decisions all on her lonesome. Well, it's not really all. This is what I'm getting at. Is this this idea that like parents don't have an influence in their child's life? Like this this word indoctrination is a big buzzword for for a oh, lot of people. Oh, and indoctrination can go both ways. I accept that. Oh, he got a call. Uh, yeah, well, sorry, I'm I'm before. here. Yeah. Oh. Well, I was gonna say Fury and left before I could call on him, but uh, Josh also I think wanted to talk about this too. Hey guys, <clears throat> yeah. So uh, I usually don't come up, uh, but I, I thought this one important enough, uh, just because I, I feel like I have um, maybe some relevant, um, I don't know, some relevant experience in it. So I have five kids. Uh, the youngest are twins uh, that are just about two years old, and then I have a five-year-old, I have a ten-year-old, and I have a sixteen-year-old. Um, so all of my extended family is fundamentalist evangelical Christian, just like I was until about uh, 13 years ago now, I guess. Um, my wife is an Anglican, so she's a Christian. Uh, so like, this is a very, like, this is a very real thing. Um, what's interesting to me, and again, this is none of this is my area of expertise. I have no psychology background. I have no, um, you know, childhood education background. So I'm just, this is just my, my experience speaking. Um, but, uh, I have noticed, uh, f for example, my 10 year old, uh, I guess about two years ago came upstairs very excited and said, um, something about something about God. And Megan, my wife said, Oh, like, what, like, what do you mean? What, like what, 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 I can't remember exactly what it was, but she said, oh, well, like I Googled God and his picture came up. So, you know, that's what he, that's what he looks like. Um, and, you know, my, my 10 year old is mildly autistic. And so it was, a, it was an interesting conversation. Um, but this, th this is interesting to me to listen to because when Michael said, um, you know, after church, I take her out. What I assumed, and of course, Michael and I are very good friends and I know him well, but um, what I assumed was, I think probably what he was saying uh, transpired was that it was uh, trying to analyze, okay, well, well, why do you think that's the case? Well, you know, how, how did we determine whether that's true or not? Um, so like my 10 year old listens to just like I did growing up adventures and Odyssey. You guys are familiar with that. Uh, incessantly. I think she has, we purchased four seasons for her. Now, if you're, if you're not familiar with adventures and Odyssey, it's focused on the family production. It's been around for decades now. Uh, very evangelical. Um, and you know, like I, I, I buy her the next season, right? Now, I'm an atheist. Uh, like this, like no qualms about that at all. Um, but when she comes up and she says, you know, uh, you know, we, we should do this because we, uh, like we shouldn't sin, um, or, you know, uh, it was okay that God sent the flood, uh, because they were, they were all being really bad or something. And we have a conversation about it. We say, well, what is like, what does that look like? Um, or the story of Samson or the Philistines, you know, 
or Goliath, David and Goliath. Uh, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll shut up in a second. But um, like the story of David and Goliath was a great example because Megan, my wife, the Christian, was the one that said, well, what do you think it would have felt like from like Goliath's perspective? And we had a conversation about it. So I, I guess that the, the last thing that I'll say is my, my mother is obviously, uh, I would say understandably from her perspective, concerned about all five of my children, right? Um, and so when she comes to visit and she's coming tomorrow to stay for three days, um, she'll, she'll present the gospel uh, to the kids. And she's asked me, like, is it, is it okay if I do that? Assuming that I would say no. And my response was, oh, I mean, th they already know it. So please go ahead. Um, like my 16 year old can tell you the plan of salvation. Right. Um, but it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't resonate with her. Um, so I guess that's what I would say as a father of five kids, like, it, it seems like what is critical is being able to think through what it is uh, that people are are asserting on either side and to be able to, to find justifications and rationalizations for it. Okay. Thanks. Sorry. Oh. Sure. I mean, there's good and bad, bad. Like, you know, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, that's anecdotal and that's fine for you. Like I have no reason to, you know, question what you said. And, you know, I'm happy to give Michael the benefit of the doubt and say that, yeah, he, he wasn't like, a, you know, he picked them up. and He's like, now, what did you learn? Why did you learn this? Why? I, I don't have any problem, you know, giving Michael the benefit of the doubt and saying he did that. Um, but for every one of you and Michael, there are out there, you know, there are plenty of people that are like uh, in a similar arrangement and they get them from church and, you know, to their kid. They're like, oh, OK, well, let's go, blah, blah, blah. You can tell me about your God fairy tales that you learned in church today. And let's go talk about your fables. <laughs> I mean, you know, because they are garbage humans. Um, so so, yeah, I don't know what else to say. So, I mean, I would agree with, you know, with your approach. Like, you know, why do you think this? You know, where you're like, a, it's like a psychologist almost like you're not you're you're not influencing you're just asking you're asking questions they're thought-provoking and sure i mean i don't think there's anything bad with that um but you know there's also plenty of people that would do completely the opposite and heavily influence be like you know uh tell me about your fairy tale god you learned about in church and you know those are just terrible people i think i think the difference too i appreciate everything you said josh um, by the way, I don't know if you, it was quite a while ago, but I had a conversation with you on uh, Skyler's show back in the day on YouTube about a Deuteronomy passage. That was interesting. That was a good one. Oh, cool. Skyler fiction. Was it the yeah. rape and 50 shekels? It was. The, well, it was. The, it was the rape conversation. Yeah, it was actually. And that I made, guy's got like five I made you scratch your head. I, admittedly, yeah. Josh. No, I'm, 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 you know, joking. But you did. It was, it was funny because I was telling you that it was a different Hebrew word used for take versus grab hold of in the two different passages, and you were like, "Well, thank you." Now I have to go look that up. And you, you know, you're saying it jokingly, but yeah, it was. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> so, so, uh, but no, I. Um, I think I think uh, as long as everyone's honest about the fact that like you're coming into this with some sort of bias when you're having these conversations, we can do our best to have these conversations with our kids and just be objective as possible. But everyone has a bias in that. I just am going to without uh, You're kind of cutting out a little bit, Jacob. kid. You're chopping up pretty bad. Hey guys, I, I apologize. I'll be back in a few minutes. Uh, yeah, Jacob, we don't hear you. You're chopping up pretty bad. 
Um, I shall return. Sure, sure. Uh, well, Gia, did you have anything to say? Well, hopefully Jacob fixes his internet. Wonderful, wonderful. All right, Josh. <laughs> I'm going to have to run here in a second anyways. Michael's going to come back and think we, like we disappeared or something. <laughs> he left. Let's get out of here. No, <laughs> no um, I, I probably have to jump back down as well. Um, yeah, I, I, and I, I, I really do appreciate that. Um, and just I, I'm trying to remember the conversation uh, that we may have had on Skylar's channel. Uh, if the passage we're talking about is Deuteronomy 22, 28 to 29, um, I wrote about that, ended up writing about that in uh, volume two of the Atheist Handbooks of the Old Testament. Um, so I'm assuming the discussion, as, as you say, Nate, if it was Skylar, I'm assuming the discussion was marrying a rapist. Um, yes. Because you're right. Like, uh, I think I think generally speaking, uh, Skylar will talk about five things. I'd say probably that's all he needs to talk about. Um but uh, just given what he does, but um, yeah, that passage, not to, I guess maybe I shouldn't say this, not to like stir the pot, but I mean, that, that passage absolutely does say uh, that it's, it's, it's the rape of a woman um, and that the, you know, it's uh, the, the punishment is to, to pay the fine and to, to marry her. Um, I'm assuming that was the debated thing, but anyway, Thank you guys for letting me come up and I'll, uh, yeah. And I, I mean, I guess just to make, to make this point, it's worth mentioning that, I mean, you know, no one can rightly talk about the, the law and the Bible, um, you know, the 613 commandments just on face value and think they're doing this law any justice. So that would be like, you know, knowing some, knowing like one of the laws in our respective countries and not reading any of the, uh, you know, any of the sub dialogue about it. Um, and not knowing any of the punishments, not knowing any of the adherence to it, it would just be like reading the bullet point and then think like interpreting the law completely on your own. So when people read the Old Testament and the law, that's exactly what they're reading. They're reading the bullet points, like whether or not someone disagrees with like the observant Jewish interpretation of the Talmud. Um, you can't say that. I mean, you you could disagree with it, but you can't say it's not a thing. Like these are the people who who the law came to, so they've been dealing with this their entire entire lives entire culture so if they tell you well this is our law let us tell you how to interpret it we should definitely defer to them um and as such they say the way to interpret their law is it must be done through the talmud so then when you have you know skylar peace be upon him uh trying to read deuteronomy and act like he has a clue what he's talking about um he's reading a bullet point and you have we're up to like 37 volumes of the talmud so out of 37 volumes that like rivals, it's like, I think bigger than Encyclopedia Britannica set at this point to deal with 613 laws. How much of a section do you think is dedicated to each one of the 613 laws? I mean, so, there's like, there's like a quarter of a book in some cases dealing with one law. So then to just try to like blase and be like, there you go. Got to marry rapist. Got to pay 50 shekels. That's it. That is such a position from either knowing no like willfully knowing and being deceptive to prove a point which makes you an evil terrible amoral human or it's a position from complete ignorance and should be clarified and let me if i could let me try to reframe this just a little bit um because i think this this might be useful um if you read through the old testament 
uh, as a Christian, would you say to me, well, listen, Josh, you can't, you can't read Isaiah 53 detached from, uh, you know, what we see in the Gospels, for example, or what, you know, the Pauline epistles say. I mean, I would imagine that you would say, look, you have to, if this, if, if this is what you're calling the Old Testament, right, we're assuming now a Christian part of the Christian text, sure. you can't read it divorced from um, uh, the New Testament's, you know, uh, theological development of it, right? I mean, I would imagine that you would say that. Sure. So to spare okay. me uh, uh, hypocrisy, um, I would say that, first of all, when we talk about the Old Testament, New Testament, um, it's not like, you know, a bunch of white Christian guys are like, hey, um, now we're going to tell you how you did everything wrong. Like the first Christians, oh. the, the first Christians were Jews. So they came from this law. They came from the tradition of the oral, you know, the oral Torah, the Talmud. They uh, they came from this tradition. So they knew it. So it's not like we're going back and telling them how to read their own book. These are their own people that are saying, guys, yeah. look. This, so there was a schism and they're like, this is our book. Like we're not, we are you, we are true Jews, just like you are. And you've been waiting for the Messiah. We're telling you here he is like Jesus is the Messiah you've been waiting for. So this is how you do it. And then these are the people who wrote, the, you know, who wrote uh, the new Testament. So it's not like we're doing, this is a different category. Sorry, Does that I, make sense? I, Josh? So, yeah. Sorry. I definitely wasn't going that direction with that. I can see why it probably sounded like I was, but I definitely wasn't going that direction. All I was saying is that um, what you're describing when you have later texts that uh, and later interpreters, I mean, this is how texts work, right, is later interpreters um, utilize texts. And with what you're describing is you're, you're describing theological developments uh, that have premises and presuppositions about it or predetermined conclusions about things based on maybe other evidence. And they say, well, we, we interpret the data through that lens, but there's a difference between, um, for example, something that you would read about divorce, uh, in Matthew 19, uh, you know, pulling from Deuteronomy and reinterpreting it or analyzing it, uh, through a theological lens. Um, and what Deuteronomy 24 actually was saying. Um, and, and so what the, the point I think of what Skylar is doing, uh, and the, the, like none of the things that I'm saying right now are, are like, um, I don't know, uh, controversial in, um, academia. Right. Um, but what, what you're describing is later theological interpretive models that are uh, dealing with textual data. And the, the point, for example, of my chapter uh, on, it was specifically on the rape and adultery laws in the ancient Near East, including the Hebrew Bible. And it's exhaustively looking at what is it that the law collections say, you know, Hammurabi, the laws of Eshnun, the laws of Lurnama, Lutavishtar, everything and saying, what is it that they all say about rape and adultery? What are the punishments? What are the stipulations? What are the things that they consider? Um, and then how does that compare to what we see in the Hebrew Bible? Um, well, well, right. But, but keep in mind, it's not like, you know, just because it took a while for people to write this stuff down. Again, I have no dog in this fight, none, um, other than, you know, accuracy. Because, um, you know, technically, same God. But as far as this stuff, I, I really have a very small dog in this fight. But the claim of the people 
and you know, I'm not willing to call all the Jewish people liars, but you know, their, their claim is that the oral Talmud began the moment the tablets were given. So like magically when God supernaturally gave them the, the commandments on Mount Sinai at that moment is when the oral Talmud began. So the fact that it took them a long time to write it down. Um, so if that's also, I'm not sure if that's where you're going, but to say that, you know, we're, we're kind of using later theology, I'd say theology has nothing to do with this. This is like bare bones, like, you know, words on paper and words in minds. So, you know, if they say the oral Talmud begin there, then, I mean, I mean, what else are we going to say unless we're going to call an entire religion liars? Uh, then we, we have to be like, well, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. They know their own book and fine. Like this has nothing to do with, you know, my salvation or Jesus or any of that. Um, but if they say this is how we follow a law, the way the oral tradition dictates. And when we say, well, you know, if um, if someone rapes a person, they got to pay 50 shekels, just like it says. And I'll, I'll just parrot and answer one of my rabbi friends gave me. He's, he's like a rabbinical scholar and like like not just a rabbi, but he's like cra crazy level, um, whatever that is. Um, but he's like basically in a nutshell. Um, my word's not his. He's like, look, the woman has a choice. Like, yes, it was true in the culture. If someone if someone wasn't a virgin, it was going to be a hard for them to find a husband and stuff like that. Um, not impossible, but very difficult. Um, and, you know, there would be reasons why, even though this injustice was done, the woman would say, OK, well, fine, um, I will I will marry you. And, you know, you're basically going to be a servant of my family the rest of your life and your life's going to suck. Um, so there would be there would be like just logical reasons why a woman would choose to be marry rapist, but he's like, realistically, um, I guess in their, in their, what's the word in their history or in their knowledge or whatever. Um, they're like, uh, the woman had a choice. And if the woman's like, no, I don't want to marry the guy that raped me. I will just, you know, help do something else in life or, you know, hold out for a guy that doesn't mind that because he understands then the rapist is going to die, uh, probably in a really painful, bad way. So it's not dissimilar to our justice system today. So no one has to do anything. And I'm like, okay, what are your sources? And, you know, he gave me the source that was in the Talmud. So I'm like, sure. Okay, well, I guess you said it. You backed it up. This is your religion. It's your law. So I'm going to believe you. I don't have any reason to call you a liar. So, all right, I accept that. Yeah, so I would say maybe this dichotomy between it's, it's correct or they're lying. Um, maybe, maybe there's a third option. Uh, and I would say from like an academic perspective, there, I mean, there, there, there absolutely is, right? And it's the one that academics hold to. Um, and that is that there are, there are beliefs that are associated with various religions, right? So, for example, um, the idea that, that there's an oral Torah that was handed down at Mount Sinai uh, along with the tablets, right? There, there are all kinds of questions that immediately come in and we certainly don't have to talk about these here because it would be a incredibly long conversation Nate that you'd be like I'm trying to shut the room down um yeah I do have to run but, but I got like a couple yeah minutes. but I mean like the, the, the question of was there a Mount Sinai right uh event as described in the in the Hebrew Bible right that's the first question that, that comes up but uh so but but these are these are ultimate conclusions that are based upon that are contingent upon certain beliefs uh, beliefs about history or beliefs about tradition. Um, and so, so, so it's, it's, I think it's more complicated than either, you know, this entire, uh, group of you know, religious people are, are lying and, uh, or, the, or what they're saying is correct. Uh, I think that there's a, there's this other option where assuming certain facts in evidence, um, to be true, then, 
this would be the case. And it's those facts that are in evidence that I think would be disputed, if that makes sense. It does make sense, but I, I just, and, and yeah, we can continue this another day, but I just don't get how you get that from from the Talmud. I mean, they have it, and their claim is this has always been with us orally, so this is how we interpret 613 laws. Like, there's really, sure. I, I mean, I, I'm usually the first one to look for a, a third option, because I, I don't like dichotomies, but I mean, this is pretty close to a true one. Like, you know, there's so many uh, populists, and I guess, I, I don't know if it's ad populum or not, but I mean, that is the answer. There's there's so many people who, if you're an observant Jew, this is what you know. Even atheists, you know, Jewish people who are atheists, like if you ask them how to interpret the law, they're like, well, I don't believe in this, I don't believe in God. But I mean, you know, I know this is how you interpret the law. It's through the Talmud. So whatever the Talmud says, that's how you interpret it. Right. But I think that what they would be saying is that this is the rabbinic interpretation of the text, which is different from um, it's ancient Near Eastern, uh, you know, authorial intent, perhaps we could say, um, because one of the things that like is is, is fairly demonstrable, uh, for example, is that the covenant code, the section of the covenant code in Exodus 21 um, is heavily dependent upon the laws of Hammurabi. Um, so, uh, you know, like these are these are things that uh, when you look at the law collections in the Hebrew Bible, um, that you, they can't be divorced from their ancient Near Eastern context. Um, and that's, uh, again, the, the Talmudic writings, the rabbinic interpretations that are, you know, that are penned much later uh, I, I are an absolutely valid interpretation of the text. I'm not disputing that in the slightest, but they are, they're an interpretation of the text um, in the same way that the New Testament is interpreting the text differently, in the same way that people sitting in a Sunday school class saying, what does that text say to you? And they have an interpretation of the text. Those are all valid interpretations, uh, but they just have to be sort of placed into their interpretive frameworks, which are like, okay, this is reader response, or this is you know, later Talmudic, you know, or this is later Christian uh, interpretations. And, and just those things have to be considered. And I would say exactly what you said. I don't really have a problem because, I mean, we can see, like, we still have rabbis going back and writing opinion pieces on the Talmud today and still challenging and still nuancing things out. So clearly that is still happening. Um, and that's fine. Again, I, I have no, no stake in this fight other than accuracy. Um, but then to act like someone who just reads the, reads the law point blank in the Bible and says, well, this is how it is, and then makes a negative case against Christianity for some reason, like, go fight observant Judaism. But they'll use that to make a case against Christianity and put it in a bad light. Um, that's like basically going against exactly what you just said. Like the, the people whose law this is have been interpreting and nuancing and defining that. So do you think we can just like read a book that's like, hey, someone gets raped, pay 50 shekels, um, whatever that is. Uh, like that's that's the height of hubris and ignorance. Like if they had a uh -huh. child, that's that person. Um, I really yeah, do me... have to go, though. <laughs> go ahead. And oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Because I, I, that's good. Thank you for having me up. I really appreciate it. It's been it's been fun. I like when I can come up. Yeah, Nate. Uh, I appreciate it too. Uh, it's been a good listen this morning, and I'll catch you later. Thank you, Nate. All right. Sounds good, everyone. Take care, guys. Take care. Have an awesome day. Nate, thanks for letting me ramble on. Cheers. <laughs> of course. Thank you. Later. <laughs>